Welcome everyone to this episode of Beyond the Crucible. I'm Gary Schneeberger, the co-host of the show and the communications director for Crucible Leadership. And you have clicked play. Uh, we hope you've clicked subscribe to a podcast that deals in what we call crucible experiences. Now, you probably know what they are because you've probably experienced one. Crucible experiences are those painful moments in life, failures, setbacks, traumas, tragedies, some things that can happen to you, some things that you can have a hand in happening or in making happen, but their common denominator is that they can knock the wind out of your sails. You can be moving along a line in your life, a crucible experience can come along and knock you off your feet, knock you off your trajectory. They are truly uh, life-changing moments. And that's why we talk about them here, but we talk about them here on Crucible Leadership, not so that we can kind of swap war stories. We talk about them here so that we can find hope and healing through the experience of other folks who have gone through them and through the insights and the experiences of the host of the program and the founder of Crucible Leadership. And that man is Warwick Fairfax. Warwick, it's great to be here again with you talking about a subject that we both know all too well. Absolutely. Yep. Happy to be here. And uh, this is a subject I'm sure we both wish we didn't know so well. Indeed. In fact, the subject that we're going to talk about today is perfectionism. And I'm already feeling like the burden of that because I wanted to say in the introduction that I'm with Warwick, not welcome in Warwick like I'm the host of the show because I'm not Warwick's the host of the show. I'm the co-host and I want to make that clear and I didn't quite do it the way I wanted to do it. So there you go. Perfectionism rearing its, uh, its uh, difficult head. To kick off our conversation, Warwick, I thought I would start with uh, something you wrote. Um, and listener, there's a blog that Warwick has on this subject. And sometimes when Warwick and I do these episodes where there's not a guest, it's just the two of us talking about principles of crucible leadership. Many times the ideas for these podcasts grow out of a regular blog that Warwick writes for crucibleleadership.com. Uh, you can visit crucibleleadership.com, sign up to receive regular email updates, which will include his blogs. But here on the subject of perfectionism is the opening paragraph of the blog uh, that Warwick has penned on this subject. Perfectionism is a struggle that so many of us have. No matter what we do, it seems like it's not good enough. Other people might say our work was great. That dish came out really well. We played amazingly in that game. But what do we say to ourselves? Well, our work could have been better. We knew we should have added that one spice that would have taken that dish to the next level. Yeah, okay, we might have played all right, but there was that one crucial opportunity in the game that we did not take advantage of. Those affected by perfectionism, for us, the glass is perpetually half empty. We are never satisfied with our performance. I'll add by way of uh, turning it over to Warwick, I don't even sometimes think the glass is half empty. I sometimes just think the glass is a dirty dish and I'm the one that got it dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that is so well said. Yeah, half empty would seem to be optimistic, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, perfectionism is insidious. We get so self-critical and we'll talk about the ramifications later, but it can make us risk averse. It can make us think, you know, 
No matter what we do, we fail. It just can erode our sense of self-confidence, our ability to accomplish things. Uh, it can affect our relationships. I mean, it's um, it's really an insidious thing. And um, And one of the reasons that we're talking about this today is that you and I both have had in the last couple of weeks circumstances, situations that occurred where we kind of beat ourselves up or we're kind of perfectionistic about and that occurred to you that might be a really good blog to write for folks and then it occurred to us that might be a really good podcast so this comes from in the same way that crucible leadership and and i'm not overstating this i'm not being glib in the same way that crucible leadership was birthed from your major life crucible of the failed takeover of the family media company just like that birth crucible leadership, some experiences that you've had over the last couple of weeks, some experiences that you've had throughout your life, very real experiences with perfectionism kind of prompted the blog I just read for in the podcast that we're having right now. Absolutely. You know, perfectionism can run the gamut from the uh, small, seemingly trivial incidents to the major. And I can think of some, some recent, some not so recent. Let's start with the trivial you know, we're in northern Michigan at the moment, and uh, we were going to go on a uh, bike ride on this just beautiful trail. And, you know, there's three adult kids and my wife, so we've got to, you know, figure out how to put the car carrier on the uh, car for the bikes. And, of course, we need more than one car because we can only fit three bikes on a car carrier. So it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a logistical ordeal to figure it out. So we figured it all out, and we made sure we had everything. So we get there, and everybody has their bike helmet except me. Okay, what you need is a bike and a bike helmet because, you know, safety first, even though it's a trail through the wilderness and tunnels of trees, it's just beautiful. And I'm one of these people that double, triple check. I'm, I rarely forget things. I mean, I'm not infallible, but for some reason, I, you know, it was like a 20 minute drive back to the house. I was mm-hmm. just crucifying myself. So what ended up happening, because, you know, you can always use another bike helmet and some of them are probably a little old. We went like a two-minute drive to the nearest town that had a bike shop, got a bike helmet. But meanwhile, that's delaying everybody. They're waiting for me. You know, it's like, Dad, I mean, come on. I mean, really, I mean, bike helmets, you know. And they're okay, but I was just, uh, you know, at least certainly for that day, I don't know about the next day, I was like, how hard is it? Pick up the bike helmet and put it in the car. I could have sworn I did it. Maybe somebody taking it out. You get a bit, you know, crazy paranoid sometimes when you're perfectionist. So I got over it, but I was so angry at myself. It's like, you know, because I'm delaying people, I'm feeling stupid. So that's sort of one incident. I can think of another incident um, when I'm not much of a boating guy, but we were, you know, driving this boat back into a hoist, which, you know, when there are waves on Lake Michigan, you need a hoist to raise it above the storms. And there was a couple of kayakers out there watching us pull into uh, right. our dock area. Uh, but they were way too close. And so right where I wanted to line myself up, they were in the way. And so what ended up happening with all the stack of people on the boat is I came at the wrong angle and I kind of scratched the side of the boat. And, you know, because of the way things work, you know, you have to wait until you winterize. It was going to be, you know, weeks or a couple months before anything could be done. And I persecuted myself, beat myself up for, days, maybe even a couple of weeks or more. Yep. And, like, you know, stuff happens, but it's like, 
Oh, I should have told the the stupid kayak people I was pretty ticked at. I don't know who they are. Move out of the way. You know, but I didn't think right. about it. And it's right. like, I should have been more careful. I should have this, should have this, should have that. And it just went on and on and on. Probably, uh, you know, one that felt a little bit more serious was um, International Coach Federation certified uh, coach. And one of the things we do every few years is get recertified and you, know, you go through a mentor coaching thing just to make sure your skills are sharp. And so at one point I was doing that. And so we each take turns coaching each other. And I like, you know, even though I don't do as much coaching now because of crucible leadership, I like to think I'm reasonable, if not pretty good. And right. for whatever reason, the technology just wouldn't work. There was an echo. And so I was like about 15 minutes late. Everybody's waiting finally get on I'm flustered and the person I was coaching you know maybe we had different mindsets and I I just could not get off first base as a coach if things don't work out you always blame yourself that is part of the profession you never blame the client even when you're tempted to but um, you know it was really I like to think I'm a good coach but it was not that good because I was I was trying too hard because I, I, we weren't able to make progress. I was pushing, 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 which you should never do as a coach. You should never own it. So here, so the reason, and I braided myself for days, a week or two, because th- this felt um, you know, worse than some of the others because I, I like to feel like I'm a good coach, but it wasn't my best day. Right. And uh, even though you can say, even when you're good at something, you're not going to bat a thousand, I was just you know, beside myself with, I mean, to a degree, that's overstating it, but there were also other people, you know, listening because it's a mental coaching deal and they were able to observe my poor performance. Perfect storm. And of course, in other weeks when other people coached, they were unbelievable. So I was like, okay, good. Out of this cohort, I probably had the worst, you know, so what did people think of my level of coaching? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we all have our bad days and nobody else really cares. People understood the whole technology thing threw me a bit. and But yeah, I tend to be really hard on myself with perfectionism. And there was an interesting point you made as you were introducing some of the, the first of those stories, I think, or the second one. There was an interesting point you made where you talked about, and I hadn't thought about it till just now, but the reach of perfectionism is sort of like burning the candle at both ends, meaning... You mentioned how hard is it to remember to bring a helmet? There's one of two things you have to do. You have to have a helmet and you have to have a bike. <laughs> I blew 50% of that. I didn't have a helmet. So there's the what we would call ruminating over, oh, how did that happen? Why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? About what happened before the incident that leads you to feel perfectionistic. But then there's the projection into the future, right? And... I have never told you this story, Warwick, but I'd already been working for you for several months when we had a meeting in Denver where we all got together along with Signal, the folks at your branding agency. We were all a big, you know, I was just, I was still new to the team, but I was comfortable with the team. I knew that the team would have grace for me, but I was to give a presentation the morning after I arrived in Denver. And while I was preparing for it, I realized I did not bring the little dongle thing that connects my computer to the screen where I could run through this extraordinary presentation in my mind that I had created. I spent, I've never told you this, but I spent, Warwick, at least an hour on the phone in full-on panic mode with my wife 
saying, oh my gosh, I forgot, I forgot the thing. I can't do the presentation. And so that was the, how could I have done that? I have a list of things that I, you know, that I have to have. And I, and I brought four watches for two days in Denver, but I didn't bring the thing so I could do my presentation. How does that happen? So again, how does it come about perfectionistic about how I blew it? And then the other end of that was perfectionistic about what was going to happen. I'm not going to be able to do my presentation. Warwick's going to think I'm an idiot. All the folks at Signal are going to go, oh, why did we ever introduce this guy to Warwick? It's, oh, and I, and it was. I mean, Kelly, my wife, could come out right now and say, yep, he's telling the exact truth because it was so all-encompassing. I could not see my way beyond what I had done wrong and what the ramifications might be. And I was beating myself up. And that is a terrible place to be. Yeah, it is. And it's funny, as you share perfectionist stories with each other, I can say, well, you know, I mean, we would have been fine. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Or you can say, okay, so you had one bad day at coaching. And I'm sure they understood the technology. And, you know, other people are often can understand much more than we can and are much less willing to judge us. I mean, some people are just judgmental by nature, but most people... You know, but we're just so hard on ourselves. And, you know, as I think about how does this show up, and I think at the root of it is we tend to tie our self-worth to our performance. Yep. And, you know, what's ironic as both of us as, as people of faith, from our perspective, there's a sense, well, you know, God loves us unconditionally because of who we are, not because of what we do. I mean, I go to a non-denominational church in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm even an elder. In theory, I should really know this stuff. Right. And I do intellectually. I get it, and I believe it very much. But clearly, if I really, really believed it, you know, then maybe my actions and my mindset would be a bit different. So this perfectionism thing, even when you know it's stupid, yeah. It runs so deep. I mean, the, you know, it's it's really complicated. I mean, we tend to compare ourselves with other people, like I did with the coaching thing. Everybody else did lights out. Me, right. not so much, you know? So you hear other people coaching and it's like, wow, you know, you did fantastic. I mean, I guess I have to think of something to add that you could have done. With me, it was like the other way around. You know, it got to be something you did positively. I didn't quite say that, but... You know, so we compare ourselves and we're so... And the truth of the matter is for that work, the truth of the matter is everybody else on that call doesn't even remember what happened. No. They, and they probably forgot it like five seconds afterward. And, you know, think about this. I hadn't thought about its application to perfectionism until you just told that last story. And, and think about what's one of the most common things we say to someone when they, you know... If you're late to a phone call, you'll say, hey, I'm sorry I was running late. I had to put the dog out or do whatever it is. Most of the time, we'll hear back from the person, oh, no problem, right? Isn't that a very yeah, common no thing? No problem. It's all good. No worries. It's no fine. Worries, hey, no it's, it's, right. it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly. And I have, I have thought, and, and now I know why I think this way. I have thought, and I try not to do that with people because I always felt like if someone apologizes, even if I think it's silly, to them it's not silly or they wouldn't have apologized. And if I say no problem, I'm not allowing them to close the loop. 
I'm not allowing them to close that perfectionistic loop. So saying no problem to someone doesn't actually help them feel better because they don't feel perhaps, you know, released from their sin, their problem that they're talking about. So that's why I think when someone says, hey, I'm sorry that happened, rather than say no problem, which is their reaction, they're not thinking about that, but to just offer back, yep, I forgive you, yep, that helps them close it and that can help them not walk in perfectionism afterwards. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to beat them over the head, but certainly if they say, right. look, I'm, I was late, I just, you know, you could see, I'm, I get it, we've all been there, it, you know, it's, it's really okay, or, yeah, right. I mean, you know, something like that to uh, acknowledge, but, you know, realize that you're not judging them or you're not holding it against them. So right. you're actually, they say, I'm sorry, you say you're forgiven or something that speaks yeah. to that. And that can close the loop and make everything start moving ahead. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, it's, um, I know we're going to dwell on uh, in a bit on, um, you know, what are some you know tips for counteracting it, but just to explore it a bit more, you know, we've got to compare ourselves and self-worth. One of the insidious things about perfectionism is we tend to want to move the goalposts no matter what we achieve, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, yeah, this was good, but there was another level. So if you're doing some presentation, yeah, th this was good, and I need to you know, do A and B better next time. So you do A and B better next time, you'll find something else. It's one thing to say, oh, there's something more I could do better. Great. Perfectionism is no matter how good a job you do, it's never good enough in your mindset. So that means you are doomed to failure always if you right. take that to its extreme so it's um and it can almost mean anything short of perfection which because we keep moving the goalposts is impossible do we design the game we design the competition in a way <laughs> exactly that we can never win just when you thought you've right. got a touchdown the goalposts have moved another 50 yards it, it's there is no way you could ever possibly win and because we tie our self-worth to that it can just erode our sense of self-worth left to its own devices. So, um, and it can be emotionally exhausting. Think of the example you just used. We think we've gotten into the end zone and then we've moved the goalpost ourselves 50 yards down the road. What's that going to lead to if you keep, you know, hey, it's 50 more yards, it's 50 more yards, it's 25 more yards. You're going to be exhausted physically if you were to do that. You're going to and you're exhausted emotionally. Exactly. And you're going to be exhausted and it will tend to make you risk averse. What's the point in trying? Because I know I'm going to fail, at least by my own definition of success and failure. And the last thing the world needs is a bunch of risk averse people that won't go for their goals and their dreams. So we're actually back in a crucible Egypt framework. We're all about living, leading lives as significant lives on purpose, dedicated to serving others. We're about bringing your vision to reality that comes out of your design and your passion well, you know, left to its own device is a bit like weeds. If you don't deal with perfectionism, it can mean that life of significance won't happen. That vision won't become reality. I mean, that's serious stuff. So, you know, we can joke about, Absolutely. you know, uh, or other people might find it amusing anyway about, you know, forgetting the bike helmet or boat or what other little incidents we have. But that kind of mindset, that's just a small manifestation of a larger problem left to its own devices, it can get in the way of your dreams becoming reality. So it's a serious thing. Absolutely. And in those quote unquote small moments, they're not really small if you're perfectionistic about it because perfectionism makes a paper cut feel like a crucible. 
right? Perfectionism takes that thing that may be as small as a technological stumble in a coaching session that you really, in many ways, had nothing that you could have done differently. But that can feel as emotionally draining, as devastating, as a true crucible experience, the likes of which we talk about on this program all the time. Well, and imagine if that's how you deal with the paper cut, how are you going to deal with the real crucible? I mean, right. oh my gosh. I mean, as, as listeners would know from previous podcasts and blogs, uh, for me, with the whole $2 billion takeover and you know, losing 150-year-old family business in Australia, you know, I mean, that is a big deal. It's not a paper cut. It's a massive crucible. And I never thought about it in terms of perfectionism, but because my, certainly my self-worth was so tied up in bringing the company back to the ideals of the founder and seeing it be well-managed, for a lot of the 90s, I was just beating myself up mercilessly. I mean, it's sort of a cousin to perfectionism, maybe just uh, self-persecution. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess it depends on the name and two sides of, this, of a similar coin. But it was the typical, as uh, one guest we had recently, I think uh, Professor Joseph Bataroka of Harvard Business School talked about the difference between ruminating and, uh, you know, perspective and... Um, you know, and reflection, reflection and exactly on reflection and ruminating. Well, I was doing a lot of both, but certainly a lot of ruminating. It's like, gosh, you know, how could I have thought that would work? And I used the wrong advisors rather than the good ones. I didn't listen to the good advice, and it's caused damage in my family. I have a Harvard MBA. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have assumed the family wouldn't sell out? How could I have? loaded the company up with so much debt. Look what I did to people's lives and the company and on, on, and on. I was just like, how could I have been so stupid? So it's, it was that perfectionist mindset rather than an objective thing with, yeah, maybe that wasn't so smart, but I was 26. There were emotional things involved with family and stuff that happened to my dad. There were reasons. Maybe there were some people with other agendas. It was complicated. Yeah, I made some mistakes, but it was a complex thing. And at 26, other people in that situation, the dad having died, you know, there's a probably more objective, nuanced look at it. But um, yeah, I was in full-on self-flagellation, self-persecution mode. So the long and short of it is when you come to big crucibles, you have a perfectionistic mindset. I mean, it, it can cause years of damage and despondency and self-flagellation, which is just not healthy for you or anybody else. And let me ask you this question, Warwick. It's 30, I'm terrible at math, but it's more than 30 years since that takeover bid. Are there still times that you, even for a second, beat yourself up? Are there still times when you think about it? Because you have to live in it every day with crucible leadership. Are there still times as you talk to interviewers about it, as you come on the podcast and talk about it, on this podcast and talk about it. Are there times that that perfectionism still manifests itself in even a fleeting feeling of, man, I messed that up? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it does. I always believe with crucibles is even if you get over them, they're still a scar. I have to say um, it's much less than it used to be. And, um, you know, part of that's because I've had years to think about it. And I talk about this so much because it's, you know, part of the cornerstone of the crucible leadership origin story, if you will, that it does get easier when you've talked about it for the 10, 20th, 100th time. 
and you talk about, and people ask you, well, you know, maybe there were some other things going on, maybe it wasn't all your fault, or you come to accept it. So it's actually considerably less. I mean, it honestly is not nearly as bad as it used to be, which is somewhat of a miracle, given how hard I am on myself. So it's really, right. I, it's not nothing, but it's vastly less than it was, which is amazing. And this would be a good time because one of my jobs on the podcast is to ensure that we are moving on with alacrity and we keep time. And if we don't keep the time exactly where I think we should, then I end up being perfectionistic and feeling bad about it. Because I'm like, oh, geez, that went 10 minutes longer than I wanted it to. So we have talked, work. we have talked here um, just sort of organically about some ways that perfectionism manifests in our lives. Uh, our sense of self-worth is tied with how we perform. We compare ourselves to others. Before we start talking about and move on to how do we combat perfectionism, are there any other examples or any other manifestations of of uh, perfectionism that you think it's important to share with listeners? You know, I mean, I think we've, um, I think we've kind of covered it. I mean, you know, we, we do feel like that um, everybody else is judging us. You know, we feel like we're defined by our own, uh, our own worst day. And it's just amazing mm. that um, people aren't really focusing on us. They've got their own issues, their own problems, their own hopes and dreams. It's, everybody's not wandering around judging us, you know. Right. I have a, a, a quote every year uh, when I uh, have a birthday, I'll publish on Facebook this last birthday was 55 years. So I'll say 55 things I learned in 55 years. And I started this, I think, back when I turned 50. So I've been doing it for five, six years now. And one of them I always put on there is I am less than my successes and I am more than my failures. And that's, I think, a good perspective for us to keep. The, the mountaintop isn't our reality every day. And the valley is not reality every day. I think that's so profoundly true. Um, you know, you kind of know that you can never get over perfectionist, but how you really begin to try to deal with it is what we said at the outset is you cannot tie your sense of self-worth to your performance, to your successes or failures. As you eloquently say, just because you know, we score the winning touchdown, you know, we kind of did incredible at that uh, play recital in high school. It doesn't mean that we're the greatest thing since sliced bread, we're the second coming, we're right. just amazing. And so during those highs, just say, okay, be happy, be kind of like, that was great, but don't start thinking, oh, wow, you know, I'm just amazing, you know? Yeah, don't start believing your own press clip. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> and for sure. the same thing goes for when you have times in which you, don't do so good. Don't believe you are the worst person that's ever lived, which, you know, you can go that way at the extreme. So that's really, it's a choice. It's a discipline. You've got to separate, you know, who you are as a person from what you do. What you do isn't who you are. And that requires a seismic mindset shift. It's probably the single biggest thing, and it's easy to say, but you've got to just be disciplined. And, we'll, we'll, and it's really a daily issue we'll come back to um, in a moment. But um, yeah, separate your sense of self-worth and what you do from who you are. And this idea, and you mentioned it, this reality that 
really other people who we share life with, especially other people who we just kind of pass through our lives, right? The other people who may have been on that counseling call that you were talking about or that coaching call that you were talking about. They may have just been not even people you know well. They're just people who were kind of passing through your life. They probably don't even remember your name, let alone some of the technical difficulties you had there. And, but we all think about that. We all think that that person's going to think that I'm the dumbest person who ever lived. Well, that person doesn't even know you. So this idea that other people typically could care less how we are performing at any given time, you write in your blog. Okay, your boss might care. That's true. But in general, if we fall short one day, even by other people's standards, they don't judge us. They see we're trying and they give us uh, the benefit of the doubt. They appreciate the fact that we're trying. And that's where I think a sense of humor is good. I don't always do well at that. But if I was wiser and more mature, when I forgot my buy count, was as well, that was kind of dumb and stuff happens and there was a million details and somehow it didn't happen. Oh, well, the world's not going to end just because I forgot my bike helmet. I got another one. We had a fantastic bike ride. It was a great day. You know, what's the big deal? Or a scratch on the boat? Or as you say, the coaching call is like, you know, people were like, yeah, you know, if I might have been flustered and it was a challenging situation. And yeah, you pressed in too hard. But yeah, we've all done that. I mean, they were probably full of grace. So, you know, just realize how other people... Um, thinking about it you know i think of another tip that's uh that's useful is that um it's i know it's easy to say but give it your all and let go of the outcome we're not defined by our, our outcomes what's important is you know did you try your hardest absolutely didn't the coaching call you know i really tried to lean in probably tried too hard but um give yourself a break and you know it's what I was also going to say is, you know, don't hold things too lightly. As I said before, you know, it's it's okay to laugh at yourself. We all have idiosyncrasies. I'm getting better at laughing at my own little foibles and the way of doing things. And yeah, yeah. and it's true that sense of humor part can be really critical, not only for you to feel better. And I'll give an example from uh, from our working relationship, Warwick. One of my roles on the podcast, listener is to try to find guests that we can have on to talk to. And, you know, I'm looking all over the place in different places. I'm doing searches on failure and bouncing back and then see who pops up in Google. And I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I'm going to podcast guest sites to find people. And, you know, I'm not batting a thousand. Every time, you know, I come up with an idea I think might work. And we've had experiences over the year that we've uh, been doing this podcast or close to a year that we've been doing the podcast I've had experiences where I thought a guest might be perfect, and I present that guest to Warwick, and you know, Warwick, as the head of Crucible Leadership and my boss in that sense, Warwick will um, say, "Oh well, you know, that might not work." And it's funny; I feel terrible in those moments, not just like I messed up, but I feel like I let you down when that happens. But one of the things that I've been able to do, and I've noticed it's happened, you know, a few times. Thankfully, not hundreds of times that I've picked guests that I, I've suggested guests that didn't you know work out. But I've I've then tried to, you know, crack a joke at my expense in a meeting with, and you'll laugh. And when I see you laugh at my joke about, well, yeah, well, I you know picked that wrong or whatever it is, that helps relieve the pressure on me. I see that it's not a huge 
thing to you. So a sense of humor can help you as an individual feel better about yourself. It can also help you realize that those people you think are judging you, those people you think are mad at you, those people you think will never let you get over it, don't take it nearly as seriously as you think they do. They really don't. I mean, that is a good example. I mean, people judge you for your expertise and your effort. I know for me, if somebody's giving it their all and they're not batting a thousand, that's fine. They're making a big contribution. You know, uh, you're going to get a lot of grace points, so to speak. You know, if you've had a history of not just expertise, but just, you know, you're all in and, you know, uh, maximum effort. I mean, that's so true. I mean, one of the other things I think of with myself, and I'm really trying to learn it, is what hurts my ability to overcome perfectionism is I'm one of these people that, you know, uh, you either do it 100% or not at all. You're in fifth gear or in neutral. I'm hardwired to just absolutely give it my all in whatever I do, and that's not a bad quality. But that can translate into perfectionism. Oh, you know, I gave it my all and I only did 99% of what I wanted to do. And so I've really come to the point where... um, you know, and this is hard for me to say, 75, 80, 80%, 85%. In a number of cases, that's fine. When there's a bunch of things you're doing, that's okay. Because for a perfectionist, 75 or 80% is probably pretty darn good, you know? And it's not that I want to settle, but when you've got millions of things to do, you can't always spend a thousand hours on every blog. Stuff wouldn't get done. So you've got to say, okay, right. I'm going to do the level best I can within a reasonable amount of time, whether it's prepping for a podcast or you know the book beyond, on um, Crucible Leadership that'll come out next year. Obviously, I'll pay a lot of attention to that, but even then, I want to get it as close to 100%, but the book will never come out if I spent, right. you know, to use that number again, a thousand hours reviewing every chapter and every edit. I mean, my gosh. So you guys say, okay, I think this is good enough. It's And that sounds sacrilege to say good enough. That is just like, Words I never utter, but for a right. perfectionist, it's okay to say, you know what? I think, you know, given the time frame and given everything else that's going on, it's good enough, and I'm going to be okay with that. You've got to force yourself to say, sometimes good enough is good enough. Yeah, and that makes me think. And you mentioned him earlier, our interview uh, with Dr. Joe Botaraco, who in his book about. Uh, reflecting and the importance of finding time to reflect, what's one of his points? Aim for good enough, right? And he talked to us about it. We think that in order to reflect on what's going on in our lives and the important decisions we have to make, we think we have to go on a Tibetan retreat. And it's not like that. You can reflect while running. You can reflect while driving in your car. You can reflect, you know, anywhere you can do it aim for good enough, because if you aim for perfection, guess what? You're never going to get to reflect. Uh, If you aim for good enough, you're going to seize those moments that you can do that. Well, exactly. I mean, very few of us have time to, you know, go to the top of a mountain and uh, reflect for a month. I mean, even though I'm extremely reflective, I don't like doing that. I tend to reflect. I mean, obviously, like a number of people of faith, I have my daily, you know, quiet time and scripture reading and all, but just as I'm in the shower, I'm having a walk, I'm reflecting and thinking all the time. That's just part of life. But um, you reflect and make a decision, but 
you know, here's a very small example. One of the things we do with the blog is we've got to pick a photo. Well, I don't have 500 hours to spend to <laughs> approve a photo in a blog. It's right, not right. that big a decision. It's not the world won't end if, I, if the most perfect photo isn't found. That's a very good example of good enough is good enough. So we spend some degree of time trying to find the one that really fits the words and the concept we're trying to present. And then we make a decision and we move on. Right. Hearing you talk about that reminds me of something I used to do. Uh, both of us have newspaper backgrounds. I didn't own any, but I was editor <laughs> for a few. And um, one of the things I would do on the city desk and the city editor for listeners who don't know is the guy who edits the copy uh, for the local newspaper. He's the first set of content editing eyes on the stuff that goes in your local newspaper. And I used to have a phrase I would use or phrases I would use if I had like 15 stories coming in and I had only three hours to do them. Some stories would get what I called an A1 edit, right? They were going on the front page of the newspaper and they were going to get, you know, three reads through. They were going to get, you know, I was going to read them backwards to make sure there were no typos. I was, they were going to get my A plus effort. They were going to get 100%. But I also had what I called my C5 edits. And those were the stories that were somewhat less important that were inside the newspaper. And they got they got a good effort, but they didn't get three reads. They didn't get all of that stuff. They got, let's get it done. Let's make it as good as it can get. And let's move it along the line. So I think that applies in so many areas of our lives. And it's not, as Joe Badaracco said, aiming for good enough is not heresy or sacrilege or giving up or not doing it right. It's recognizing your limitations and acting in a way that allows you to put your best foot forward for the best things that advance what your vision is. That's so well said. So, for instance, the level of effort that I'm going to give to uh, reviewing a chapter of the book that's coming out next year is going to be more, maybe considerably more, than reviewing a image for a blog that's going to come out. You know, and one should receive a whole lot more effort and attention. It's like, to use your analogy, it's, you know, the front page story versus something that's going to be on page 35 that's going to have one paragraph. It's going to be buried somewhere, you know? Right. One of the other things I think it would be useful to talk about because being a reflective person, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, we all agree perfectionism is a bad thing and, you know, don't go overboard with the effort depending on, you know, level of effort depending on the challenge and how important it is. But one of the things I think has helped me is just have a sense of, um, it's going to sound a little um, uh, pop culture-ish, but uh, sort of daily gratitude. And I don't know they do it every day, but I kind of, maybe it's a spiritual thing, but I just, in my case, thank God for the many blessings that I have, you know, wonderful wife, three great kids. Um, I love what I do with Crystal Leadership. I have an amazing team. I've got so much to be thankful for. Uh, so I try to just look at somehow when you're so thankful for what's happening, the perfectionistic thing, it shouldn't directly correlate, but I think it can help. And I think it's also okay to look back and say, okay, not to sort of dwell on the successes to say, oh, look how wonderful I am, but just but just be thankful for the things that you've been able to be a part of. You know, I've been on two nonprofit boards, my kids' uh, school, and have been an elder at church, and I've been involved in strategic planning and some governance stuff and uh, coaching, and I've got this book about to come out, and 
love the podcast we do and the blogs. I have a lot of things that I'm grateful for and some things that I do poorly, but there are some things I actually do well. And that's not said because of hubris or arrogance, but it's like, if you can honestly say to yourself, I'm actually making a contribution, I'm living a life of significance to, you know, best degree possible, or at least a reasonable degree. There are some things I do well, there hopefully are some people I bless, and even in some small way, then maybe I'm not a total screw up. Maybe I'm worth something. I mean, I know my faith tells me God loves me irrespective of what I do. I know that, so I need to own that. But objectively, there are some things I do, which is maybe not very spiritual, but objectively, that says I'm probably worth something anyway, because there are some things I've done that have been okay, if not good. So therefore, if I fall short, why should I beat myself up? So this concept of almost like a daily exercise, gratitude is really, and thankfulness, uh, an objective view of who you are, not this jaundiced, I'm a screw up, because few of us right. are that bad. I have this, uh, this thing I do every night on social media uh, before I go to bed. I, I, and because I'm a word guy and I like to think I'm clever, I call it today. So it's my gratitude for today. So I'll go on Facebook and I'll type gratitude, colon, and then I'll just list one thing that I was grateful for. Last night it was uh, how fantastic my wife's chili tasted like eight months after we made it because (laughs) after she made it because we vacuum sealed it. So it was like, not only did I get a good meal, but I realized what a great buy it was to buy a vacuum sealer. That was my gratitude for the day. Not a big thing. But it was something that I could focus on that made me go, yep, especially in the time of COVID and some of the things that are going on in the country, to be able to find those things that you can hang on to and be grateful for, that's extremely important. I think it is. And yeah, some other tips for dealing with this, because I, I fully admit that dealing with perfectionism, this is one tough challenge. <laughs> you know, speaking of uh, perfectionism within perfectionism, but um, I think of dealing with perfectionism like, uh, like weeding is you've really got to be very disciplined. So when, when you feel that uh, that sense coming that, um, oh, here we go. It could be a small issue uh, or even a big, but a small issue. You just feel those feelings. Two or three thoughts. One is, even if it's something little like, oh, I forgot the bike helmet. Somebody like me, I'll say to myself, okay, I know I'm beating myself up today, but tomorrow's another day and I'll probably feel better tomorrow because I can't magically switch off my feelings you know, just give yourself a break, realize it could take a day or so, and that's okay. So that almost eases the tension. And then sometimes what I do is, in my case, talk to Gail, my wife, or if it's something to do with crucial leadership, I might, you know, chat to some people on the team with this whole coaching thing. I think I've mentioned it behind the scenes to a a number of folks that I work with and you know, somehow it makes it easy to deal with. They say, yeah, look, I get it. We've all been there. And when you have that empathy and they're walking with you, a combination of time and being able to talk it through with others, you know, even if they say they're predictable, you know, it's okay, you know, we've all been there. That level of empathy and understanding definitely help with the whole coaching incident. So, you know, Bottom line is be proactive. Don't let those weeds grow. Deal with it. Yes, it'll take time. And when you feel those feelings come up, just try to bang them away. Just squash them. It's like, okay, I'm not defined by this. I know it's stupid. Stuff happens. Talk it through with others and just 
try to be disciplined and, and not let those emotions take hold and just be objective about it, not defined by, you know, forgetting a bike helmet or a poor coaching performance. Think of all the other things that you're doing. You know, come on, be objective, be realistic. Laugh at yourself for being so silly and so hard on yourself. Talk it through with others. There are practical things they're not going to switch those negative emotions off overnight, but they will help. There's no question in my mind. There are things you can do that will help. Absolutely. And that is a good point, Warwick, where I would talk about landing the plane because I'm perfectionistic about timekeeping and I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to run too long. But here's something I've never told you as well about uh, my perfectionistic streak. Go back, listener, and listen to you know, the last five minutes of any podcast uh, you want up until the last couple of ones. And when I say it's, you know, it's we're getting to the point where we have to land the plane. And I'll say, you know, the captain's turned on the fastened seatbelt sign, the landing gear's gone down. I've also said this, that I see the guys on the runway waving those flashlights. Said that five or six, seven, eight times until Kelly, my wife, over dinner one time said, you realize, you know, you say that, but they don't do that when the planes land because they'd get hit by the plane. (laughs) She said, said, you know, they they don't do that. That's not a sign of landing the plane, sweetie. That's a sign of, you know, getting the planes lined up to take off and stuff. And I'm like, ooh, boy, do I feel stupid that that's out there on like 25 podcasts. So... Uh, Have grace for me, listener. But yeah, as we wrap up, Warwick, I think one of the the places to go to that I think is critical uh, for all that we've talked about, and that is this idea of being able to forgive yourself when you have done those things that have kicked in your perfectionistic cycle. And and I want to read something that I found from um, Psychology Today that talks about the power of forgiving yourself and how you do it. And the, the first line of this really struck me. It says, when we've done something quote unquote wrong, we register it in our nervous system. And if we try to forgive ourselves for something without releasing the underlying emotion or belief that we've attached to it, the forgiveness just doesn't take. No matter how hard you try to forgive, you continue to beat yourself up for whatever happened because your nervous system tells you to. So you really have to release that negative emotion, those things that you talked about over time, you were able to release to talk through uh, what happened with the takeover. You were able to talk to members of the team about the coaching, uh, you know, a kerfuffle. It's really important in forgiving yourself to let that release go because your nervous system, there's a physical, emotional thing that happens when you hang on to feeling like you were wrong and you messed up. And not only, you know, you're going to dwell on it, but it will stop you doing positive things in the future. It will be like a 10-ton weight. It will stop you taking risks. It will stop you moving forward. Oh, you know, I might make that mistake again. So it's important to forgive yourself. And yeah, if it's a small issue, it's like you need to forgive yourself for forgetting a helmet. Well, maybe you do if you're beating yourself up for it and thinking you're a terrible person. But yeah, you've just got to be disciplined and uh, deal with it. Realize we all make mistakes. I mean, if you're willing to show grace to others, and most of us are, then isn't it reasonable that you should deserve as much grace as you're willing to show others? You know, it just makes no sense. So you just got to Got to be disciplined and not let those negative perfectionistic uh, voices 
take root. As we said before, sometimes good enough is good enough and we're all going to have that, you know, the bike helmet incident or, you know, I can't believe I thought it was flashlights landing the plane. It's like, you know, it's like we're not pilots, you know. Right. If you're a pilot, you would never make that mistake. But we're not pilots. And that's okay. You know, maybe there's a couple of pilots that listen to the podcast and go, that's, come on, really? But even them are like, yeah, who cares? I mean, you know, they're not going to not, they're not going to, unsubscribe to the podcast because you know you mentioned flashlights rather than something else if they <laughs> I certainly hope not if they do then well my gosh you know what's their problem but yeah I mean it's we just need to have a bit more sense of humor and just lighten up on ourselves which you know um, yeah we just need to well the plane has landed and there were no men or women on the <laughs> runway with flashlights when that happened <clears throat> I want to conclude this one, Warwick, differently than I normally do. Normally, I'll say, here's three or four takeaways you can get from the show. I'd like to uh, um, challenge listeners to do a little something off of this episode, and that is to take what you've heard as Warwick and I have had this discussion and apply it. Forgive yourself if you are still ruminating on something that went wrong. Recognize that you are less than your successes and more than your failures. Find something you've heard here and put it into practice. Take that first step. We interviewed a guy on the show, um, uh, Mike Valentine. He used to be a steel hanger. He would walk the steel on the skyscrapers and he would talk about what you learn when you're walking steel on a skyscraper that's being built is that, you know, you got to take the first step because if you don't get that one right, you know, you've got to take the first step carefully. You've got to take the first step intentionally because there's no second step if the first step's wrong. Take that first step, listener. If you've heard anything in this conversation about perfectionism that resonates with you, take the first step to arrest it, to overcome it. And here's the thing. I'll leave with this. You don't have to be perfect about how you release your perfectionism. It's a process. What Warwick and I have described here is a process. It's okay to have that process play itself out. Thank you for spending time with us as we've had this conversation. And remember that your crucible experiences, be they big major ones that everybody would recognize as crucibles, or maybe they're your, some of your crucible experiences are those paper cuts that feel like crucibles because you can't let go of a feeling of perfectionism surrounding them. Whatever those crucible experiences are, they're your crucible experiences. Your pain is just that, your pain, and it's real to you. But remember that if you learn the lessons of those crucibles, if you don't wallow in those crucibles and you apply those lessons, um, it's not the end of your story. In fact, it can be the beginning of the next chapter of your story, which will be the best chapter of your story because it will lead to something that crucible leadership exists to point you toward and that is a life of significance 